It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Could the league return in Las Vegas? Jason Tatum talks about what it's like waiting for his COVID-19 test result, and we begin our deep dive into Boston Celtics history on this Tuesday, Locked On Celtics. Millies, let's go! John Corral is here from MassLive.com. Welcoming you to a Tuesday Lockdown Celtics. Thank you for making this show part of your daily routine. Very much appreciate that you are still doing that. I really mean it. That's just amazing that you're still doing it. Uh, everybody's routine has changed. So if you're working a podcast into your routine, it's uh, it really is. It's very much appreciated. I know my podcast listening habits have changed. I used to listen at the gym. There's no gym anymore. Uh, I used to listen on my way to practices. There's no practice anymore. Um, so a lot of opportunities for me to listen to shows uh, have gone by the wayside. So thank you for still sticking around. As is probably going to be the case, each one of these days is going to be a little bit different. Today, there's a little bit of news that I want to get into the first segment before I get into the second segment. So how this works is Mike Dynan of RedsArmy.com and I have already had our conversation about the 1950s, basically 1946 through the end of the 50s. That's all done. So I'm just going to take the chunks of it and put it in a row for you to listen to. But in these first segments, just give you a little bit of what's happening in the world that you might have missed. So uh, one of those things is a report from CNBC that the NBA is looking at Las Vegas. And I'm actually mad at myself for not realizing that Las Vegas could be a potential location. One of the reasons why I didn't think of Las Vegas is because, you know, casinos and all that stuff, I wasn't sure, like, I wasn't thinking about that type of location. But if if the NBA can figure out a way to keep guys safe and, and sterilized and all that stuff, all of the things that I've been saying, they have a plan that already works for Summer League. They've already, when I talk about them going to universities and all that stuff, they do that at UNLV. With the Thomas and Mack Center and the Cox Pavilion, they do that every summer. They've got games going at you know two at once on each side, televised. They know the lay of the land. They know everything. They've got a plan in place for that location. So it would not be uh, that difficult logistically to make that happen. You've got two courts going on at the same time. Um, now, Steve Kerr said that he doesn't think the, the bottom of the league would come back which is an interesting comment that he made on uh, the Howard Beck podcast. But there is a possibility that they could take the 16 playoff teams plus the four uh, the you know four teams that are competing on e- in each uh, conference 
for the playoffs, two in each conference, and that would be 20. And you could do the plan that I've been talking about, 10 and 10. You could do uh, a 20-team round robin because they're both in the same location. If everybody's tested, healthy, ready to go, they have UNLV safe, sterile, all of that stuff. If they can control that environment, they can control where these guys stay, that might work. That, Like I said, they do summer league there anyway, so they know everything about it. They know what the situation is. They can set things up. Uh, it would be uh, a wild kind of risk to take to, to bring these guys to Las Vegas of all cities. I would be assuming that well, I, I can't assume anything, actually. I was going to say, I would be assuming that some of this stuff would be shut down, but at that point, you would think that a lot of the a lot of life has maybe come back to normal to some degree. Whatever it is, bringing all of these people to Las Vegas is, is very risky because 20 teams, 15 players per team, plus staff, plus coaches, plus, you know, other people in the periphery that will be working for these teams. All it takes is like one person. All it takes is one to go to a place, go to a restaurant, do something that breaks the quarantine, that has somebody over that thinks, oh, this isn't so bad. And if that person gets it and then they they kind of spread it, then the whole thing, the whole thing comes tumbling down. Because all it takes is one, and that person transfers it to three people, and there's such close proximity. You're playing a basketball game, then the the whatever it is, 18 people who play and share the floor, and the referees and the coaches, like they all spread it to each other, and then it's over. The entire thing is over. Forget it. And all it takes is one person. And in Las Vegas, it's very tempting for one person to break the rules. Okay, Vegas is made for breaking the rules. That's their entire marketing campaign. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. They've spent all of that time, uh, whatever their new slogan is, whatever the whole point of Las Vegas, it's Sin City. It's the place where rules are made to be broken. So that's the big risk. But it's a familiar, familiar place. So keep an eye on that. I'm very interested in that. Jason Tatum also spoke. Uh, he was on the uh, Jeff Goodman podcast and he talked a little bit about uh, a couple of things. He talked about the getting the COVID-19 test, said it was scary that, uh, you know, waiting for the results once Marcus Smart got them, uh, you know, which is not a surprise. He spent 10 days away from Deuce, his son, which is, you know, uh, I'm sure those of you with parents and especially when you have young kids, you're in the same city as your your child, and you can only FaceTime with your kid. That has to be frustrating. So some interesting comments there. Uh, I was more interested in what Tatum said about his own game, where he talked about putting the pressure on himself. And when we think back to Jason Tatum's season, this makes a lot of sense. He said that he kind of put so much pressure on himself that he, after every good performance, would be like, I'm, I'm making the All-Star game. He would text Drew Hanlon, his, his trainer, and he'd say, oh, yeah, I'm making it now. And after every bad game, he'd be like, that's it, I'm not going to make it. And he kind of lived and died with his performances and put an extraordinary amount of pressure on himself to make the All-Star team. 
And when you look at when he was actually named to the All-Star team, how his performance has changed, this is a clear indication of how much that freed him up, how much that allowed him to be like, all right, I made it, and now I can just go play basketball. And it just goes to show that these young kids still put a lot of emphasis on this stuff. And as cool as he might seem, as quiet as he might seem, as collected, that is a strong indication of the importance. And when we say, let me loop Kemba into this whole thing. When we say things like, oh, it's just an exhibition. Oh, it's just this. Oh, he shouldn't have done that. And it's just the all-star game. It's not just the all-star game for these guys. It's not just the all-star game for this these guys. Okay? Take this from Jason Tatum. Keep it in the back of your head. Every time you think when somebody's got a little nagging injury that they might be able to play through, might not. How important it is. And I don't care. I don't care if you think it's bullshit. I don't care. It is not to them. This is a huge deal. And I can tell you just from little things that I've experienced in my time, little tiny all-star games here and there that mean really, really nothing, that are a speck of sand on the beach of basketball, how important those were to me. These guys are in the NBA. They're talking about NBA all-star team. That means a lot to these guys. So please... Take that into account as you think about how these guys act about all-star games and how we very flippantly say, well, he should just sit out. That No, these guys, it means a lot to them. So that was the most interesting part of the conversation that he had with Jeff Goodman because the, the ups and downs that he had earlier in the season – which I think were natural and I think were part of him just trying to figure out his game. Once he became an all-star, that he said there was a huge weight lifted off his shoulders and that kind of freed him up to start playing well, better. He was playing well, but playing better. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how, how that is moving forward because now that he's made one, obviously he wants to make more, but I think that might come with a little bit more confidence. Again, young kid, just turned 22. This is this is part of it. Emotions, even for a guy that looks as cool as Tatum, emotions play a part in the game, and it did there for Tatum. Okay, when we return, the beginnings of the Boston Celtics franchise history. We get into our historical deep dives for the second and third segments of this podcast. I hope you enjoy that. I hope you are enjoying life without sports as best you can. We know that sports have come to a screeching halt. Basketball is benched. Pitchers are off the mound. But our friends at my bookie are not 
going to let you down. You can stay sane, stay entertained with access to your favorite games like Blackjack, Roulette, Slots, War, and more. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter whether you're out on the front lines or quarantined at home. The fun doesn't have to come to an end with my bookie. Video poker, not your thing, but still need a fix. They've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. That's right. They have professional dealers at their table, live, on-site, 24-7. If your favorite squad sideline because of the pandemic, don't even sweat it. My bookie has partnered with some of the leading esports brands to bring your wagers on virtual action straight from the court in NBA 2K20. Plus, you could always do your part, make your bankroll great again by taking advantage of shifting odds on political bets. You can trust the industry leaders in times like this. They're reliable, upright, and best of all, they pay fast when you win. Visit mybookie.ag and use promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to get a 150% cash bonus on your first deposit. And you can claim those extra funds all the way up to $750. Use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate this offer. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA. You spin, you win, you get paid. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Celtics. Your daily Boston Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. So let's start at the beginning. Joining me here, Mike Dynan of RedsArmy.com. Celtics historian, that's what I call you, <laughs> for sure. Uh, Hi, John. How's it going, Mike? Good, good, thanks. Mike? Uh, staying in the house, and no better time to talk about the Celtics. Yeah, right? Let's <laughs> just pass the time uh, with uh, a nice discussion uh, at at uh, home here. Uh, so follow Mike uh, on Twitter at Mike Dynan D Y N O N. Mike, uh, I've known Mike for a while here. He's when I was uh, still running Reds Army with Chuck. Uh, Mike came along and does a fantastic job. And really, I, very few people have a, a better grasp of Boston Celtics history than Mike. So I thought Mike would be perfect for this. And I'm very excited for this. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. So let's let's start. At the beginning for the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics were actually one of the original, you can say one of the original NBA teams because they span back to the BAA. 1946, the BAA uh, begins. 
Uh, they've got what, so 12 teams or so, 10 teams. Uh, I forget exactly what it was, but so it's a small league in, uh, an atmosphere where the NBL already exists, um, running mostly out of middle America. BAA comes along and they've got teams in Boston, Chicago, Philly, Washington, Baltimore. Like they, they, they come in and occupy the big arenas in big cities. So they become an immediate challenger and the Boston Celtics, Mike, uh, suck in the first three years yes. of the BAA. Yes. Um, it's kind of funny that before the NBA existed, the, the Celtics were really one of the worst teams in the league. They were. Uh, the first four seasons did not go well. Uh, they uh, made the playoffs only one time out of those four. Uh, the first three, I believe, were with the BAA. And then uh, in 1949 and 50, they came into the NBA after the merger with the NBL created the NBA. So uh, those those teams, Celtics, 89 and 147 in four seasons. <laughs> so it's kind of funny to think like, all right, the Celtics are one of the worst teams in the league. They they come out of the box slow, let's say. Uh and things start to change uh, after the merger. So, like I said, the NBL was a league that really started in the Midwest. It used to be the Midwest Basketball Conference. That started well before the BAA, but because the BAA came along and had these big arenas, they they really kind of sapped a lot of the interest from the NBL. And so the NBA is born. My favorite I, – I, I, I'm going to say my favorite a lot – because all of these are tied for like my favorite stories with the Celtics. But overall, the overarching thing is that there's so much luck involved. And part of the luck is the owner, Walter Brown, who, when he decides he's going with a new coach in 1950, comes out and asks the media, Hey, who do you think should be my coach? Can, can you imagine Wick Grosbeck? If let's say Brad Stevens decides, you know, I'm going to retire. And Wick Grosbeck comes down to the practice facility and goes, Hey guys, who do you guys think I should uh, hire as coach? And we give a name. He goes, oh, okay, I'll go get him. That's basically what happened. You can't see that happening today. Uh, probably not. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> uh, so Walter Brown looks at, the landscape, asks the media, and he says, all right, Red Arback, Red Arback's the guy? No problem. Well, Red Arback had already had history because he started coaching in the BAA. So he's let's, – let's, let's start talking about Red's story before we get to this point where he gets hired by the Celtics. Um, he's born where you were born, right? Yes, A couple of Brooklyn right. kids. Brooklyn. Only the best. Only the best. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my claims to fame that uh, I'm from Brooklyn, uh, just like Red. You wouldn't have thought if you didn't know better, you wouldn't have thought the coach of the Boston Celtics, the icon, would have been out of Brooklyn, but he was. Yep. And so Brooklyn kid, um, and the Brooklyn upbringing is kind of important because he's a little like he's this Jewish kid in Brooklyn in this in this area that that's integrated that his immediate. Uh, exposure to humanity in this period 
um, which is basically post-depression, is just being around people of all walks of life. And so that kind of shapes who Red Arback is. You know, he's the son of uh, immigrants from Russia. He's he's exposed to all of these different, you know, backgrounds in Williamsburg. Um, so, so with that background, he takes that into his basketball years. Where, where are you from in, in Brooklyn? Um, area called Flatbush. Flatbush. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's not close to Williamsburg. That's on the, like the other uh, side of Brooklyn. It's like, it's like central Brooklyn. Yeah. And I, I went to Erasmus high school, Red went to Eastern district, mm-hmm. which is another part of town entirely. So Red plays basketball there. He goes to George Washington, and then he comes out, starts coaching high school, uh, coaches the Navy basketball team, and then gets a job coaching the Washington Capitals in the BAA. And actually, not surprisingly, Mike has a, a bit of success as a BAA yes. coach. Yeah, he, he was uh, the Capitals coach. Obviously, he ran a fast break offense because that was one of his trademarks. And I uh, said the Capitals set a record by winning 17 straight games, and that record stood in the NBA until 1969. Uh, they had, so they had a lot of regular season success, and they never quite got over the hump for the uh, to win the championship. However, yeah, in fact, uh, Red's first championship loss was to the Lakers. So the Minneapolis Lakers. That's right. Important Let's make that point clear. Important distinction. Uh, because in the NBA, Red never lost to the Lakers. But Correct. as a BAA coach, he did. And so there's a little bit of trivia there that Red Arback's first championship, first time in a championship in the BAA was uh, a loss to the Minneapolis Lakers. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Here we go! John Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen the Locked On NBA Podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on our social channels at LO Celtics on Twitter and at Locked On Celtics on Instagram. It's interesting, the NBA traces its history back to this merger, but they adopt this BAA history. So they they see the BAA as their predecessor. And the NBL, while it existed before, was kind of absorbed, and they see it as an expansion rather than a merger. And so the NBA history actually goes back to 1946, which is why in 1996 they did the the 50-year team. Uh, the the best 50 players of all time, even though the NBA came about in 1950. So 
Red's coaching, Red's coaching uh, in the BAA. Then he gets a job at Duke. And this is another one of my favorite stories about Red. So he's, he's going from place to place. And he has these conflicts with the owners. Uh, he didn't like how the Washington Capitals were, were being run. So he ends up going to Duke. And he's an assistant there. And he gets promised, basically, the head coaching job at Duke once Jerry Girard, who was the coach at the time, basically died of cancer. That's, that's the promise that they made him. They said, Jerry's got cancer. Whenever he's gone, you get the head coaching job. Um, and our back, the quote uh, was, you know, I was there until the middle of December and felt funny waiting for him to die. So I left Duke and went to Tri-Cities. So we're this close. We're that moral kind of compass away from Red saying, you know what, I'm going to stick this out. I'm going to be the Duke head coach. The Instead of playing at Cameron Indoor, they could have been playing at the Arbeck Center. That could be the actual Arbeck Center rather than the Celtics practice facility. You know, you also mentioned in passing there, Tri-Cities. How many people listening to this podcast just said, what? <laughs> who, who are the tri What's Tri-Cities? Yeah. And that was part of the small town type thing because it, Tri-Cities is in Illinois. It's three cities, I believe Illinois and Iowa, that uh, were in a small geographic area. And so the team – the Hawks, Blackhawks at the time, played there. And it's one of those things that could only have happened in the NBA back in the old, old, old days. Yes. I mean, well, let's, let's look at it this way for, for a second. Tri-Cities has a, a couple of uh, important roles here uh, with the formation of the, the Boston Celtics. So, yes. so Red says, look, I'm not going to wait for this dude to die at Duke. I can't, I can't bring myself to do that. Um, and, and he did die like a couple years later. Um, he goes to tri cities and again, another conflict with how this thing is being built. And so he's at that time, like if Red wasn't like so set in his ways about how he wanted the team to be built and what he wanted and, and all of that stuff, he might have tried one of these other situations might have worked out for him. But he kept saying, you know what, I'm, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I can't do this. That makes him available in 1950. Um, and one of the interesting things is when he comes to Boston, Walter Brown is the owner. He owns the garden. Um, it's, it's the relationship, Mike, with Walter Brown that really kind of cements red as, okay, I can, I can stop moving around. I can stop having these conflicting relationships, these, 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 um, these bad relationships with the owners. Like he looks at Walter Brown and says, this guy is a good guy. He's got no prejudices. This is a guy I can work with. And that's really this combination of Walter Brown and Red Arback merges very well, very quickly. Yeah. Um, from what I have read, 
uh, Walter Brown knew that he didn't know anything about basketball. He uh, was going to leave that to the experts. So Fred Auerbach was that person. And Walter was primarily interested in having events fill his garden during the winter. And that's why he founded the, the Celtics. That's why most of the arenas got into the uh, basketball business. And so he, he was smart enough to know that he should just let Red do what he needed to do. So he does. Um, and Red, you know, Red's quote about uh, Walter Brown says, you know, when he was at the garden as president and owner of the Celtics, the women that swept the garden, he would tip his hat to them, open the door for them. There's no such thing as religion, religious or racial prejudice in his own makeup. And this, this plays into now the first draft in 1950 for Red Arback. And let's begin here with the drafting of the first black player in the NBA, uh, Chuck Cooper. And Red Arback says to uh, Walter Brown, hey, I think this is the guy to pick at that time. And Walter Brown says, I don't care if he's green, if he can play, draft him. And so Red makes the pick. And that's what breaks the NBA's color barrier. Right. Chuck Cooper did not end up being the first uh, black player to be in a game. That was Earl Lloyd with the Knicks. Um, but that was just by schedule timing. Uh, Chuck Cooper was the first black player drafted. And I be- believe he ended up uh, being selected for the Hall of Fame recently. He did. He did. It was actually yeah. last year's induction. I was there for uh, I was there for that. Um, mm. So um, a little late, but you know it's it's great that um, he finally had that moment, uh, even posthumously. I think the only thing that I've ever heard about Walter Brown, other than uh, in regard to ethnicity or race relations, uh, good things like the story about Chuck Cooper. Uh, he picked the name the Celtics because of the large Irish population in Boston. And uh, that was, again, a positive thing. He was appealing to the potential fans of the team. And uh, that's the only time I can remember him uh, making a decision based on ethnicity. Yes. (laughs) It's interesting, though, because that it's it's worth mentioning that 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 is the reason why they were called the Celtics. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, different teams have different names for different reasons. Um, They actually did name the Celtics after basically the population of the city of Boston. We're going to pause the history lesson right there. Tomorrow, we're going to pick it up at the 1950 draft. The decision not to draft Bob Cousy with the territorial draft pick. This is an important moment. Tomorrow's podcast, we'll talk about maybe the most pivotal moment in franchise history. There may be no Celtics pride. There may be no Celtics championship run. Red Arback may not be the coach for very long. If one thing doesn't happen with him in... 1950. Okay? I'm I'm not even underplaying it. There's one moment 
that he has, that Red Arback has, after the 1950 draft that changes the entire course of Boston Celtics history, if it doesn't work out the way it did, then Red probably doesn't stay. Then things go south. Then Bill Russell doesn't show up. I'm, I'm not even underplaying it. That's how important this moment is. That's coming up tomorrow as we continue our deep dive into all of Boston Celtics history. And that pivotal moment comes in the first year of the Boston Celtics existence in the NBA. So stick around for that. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Again, we're going through the entire 1950s. Mike and I have had this entire conversation. It's recorded. It's going to be released throughout the course of this week. Next week, we'll record another four episodes. So next week, Tuesday through Friday, the 1960s, the decade of dominance, all of that. And we continue on. 70s, 80s, 90s, all of that stuff. That's how we're going to carry you through the hiatus. Probably going to do more of these whatever breaking news things, kind of discussions at the beginning in the first segment. And then we'll go through the history lesson. So a little something new, a little something old to keep things fresh. So subscribe, five-star ratings, and a good written review. You've made this podcast the number one Boston Celtics podcast in the world. And I very much appreciate that. I hope to continue to earn those ratings and earn those written reviews. I hope that you continue to listen and follow through on this stuff. I'm still here for you Monday through Friday, even through this hiatus. Still doing five days a week for you. Still providing Celtics content for you as we continue to navigate this uncertain world. So please subscribe. Please share the podcast and tell everybody to listen to the Lockdown Celtics podcast. Now, tell your smart device to play the latest episode of Rejecting the Screen. Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.